On today's menu, we have a new Metaverse Economic Zone coming up. We have uh, very good news coming from Center Pompidou for NFTs and a very special TV show with uh, the one and only Danny Trejo. All that followed up by a conversation with uh, Chris Castiglione. Well, let's do it. Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, the podcast where we share news and ideas about Web3. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Hello, Nick. How are you doing? Hi, Alberto. I'm great. How are you? I am good. I am uh, looking forward to starting with the news today, the first of one, the first of which is going to take us all the way to the Far East, where apparently some uh, metaverse economic zone is being created. There is uh, a number of companies like Fujitsu, Mitsubishi, and I think um, the bank called Mihuno, Mizuno, something like this. Uh, well, a, a number of uh, very important, very big Japanese companies are getting together and have agreed to create a metaverse called, wait a second for this, Ryugukoku. I think it's uh, the similar can you say that one more time yes of course <laughs> ryugukoku ryugukoku yes. all right i all think right. I, I think, think my pronunciation is pretty good to be honest because spanish and japanese uh, they 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 sound pretty similar actually if you if you if you've never checked uh, yeah they look they, they sound pretty similar even though the words are completely different and i don't know what they're saying anyway ryugukoku is the name of the of this metaverse and it's going to bring um, together these conglomerates because as you know japanese companies are not just companies that do one thing they usually are conglomerates that do plenty things and they want to put together these plenty of things in a bigger thing called this um, all this metaverse it's going to be uh, a metaverse of course that will offer interoperability between the different um, areas uh, businesses uh, opportunities and uh, well um, it aims for disseminating information and i guess it, it its objective is to become a hub for people you know to spend time on so what do you think well this one could go a couple of different ways so we'll start with the with the bright side of things so on the positive side of this story in this development. You know, I think we're talking about conglomerates. So as you said, these are not single companies. These are holding companies that have many, many companies under their umbrella. And so this is probably spanning across dozens, if not hundreds of industries when you put these companies together. So on the positive side, when we talk about things like building an interoperable metaverse, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's an opportunity because there's a larger surface area of companies that we can start developing across. And so now, you know, the, the potential for adoption is much higher because as one piece of this conglomerate adopts this metaverse, or I think they're calling it a metaverse economic zone, other pieces of that conglomerate or other companies that belong to that conglomerate can also play. And so it could create a situation where very quickly we have kind of this big fo footprint for this metaverse. And there's a lot of utility there because, you know, you're not just dealing with one company, you're dealing with many companies. And so as somebody who's experiencing that metaverse, it's much more feasible that even in the short term, you would be able to have utility and experiences across many parts of your life because those companies all touch different parts of your world. Um, so that's 
that's the positive side I see. I see kind of a really dark side to this too. It's it's almost like the black mirror approach to building a metaverse where, you know, the, the, the vision and I think the inspiration for a lot of the things we talk about in Web3, when we talk about the metaverse and we talk about decentralization, is this idea that we're, we want to see the world go to this place where there's more, uh, more equal control, right? There's, there's more, it's a more equitable share of control across people. And that's where things like decentralization come into play. Um, that's where things like open protocols come into play. And so the black mirror side of this is, well, you've got these conglomerates, which we know conglomerates are very powerful companies. They can exert a lot of influence. They have a lot of financial leverage. And you could see this very easily and quickly turning into in a web two all over again. It's like, you know, are, do we really want to rebuild what we have with the Facebook and the Netflix and the Googles of the world um, because it's kind of the same deal. Or do we want to move towards this world that's more open, decentralized and, and equitable? Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that we discussed, I think in the, in the last, uh, in the last podcast, when we talked about uh, planning for, for this technology and what it could be in the future, of course, you look at um, other 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 movies. You talked about Black Mirror. Uh, there's this movie, well, book, uh, Ready Player One, which um, looks very RPG, and that they want to make it also this this metaverse. They want to make it some some like a RPG like experience. So you you just go with your avatar and you walk around. But this is pretty much what happened in that in that book or in that uh, movie. So they are basically looking at what um, science fiction is bringing us, and they are trying to replicate it. And at the same time, yeah, as you're saying, that trying to replicate whatever happens already in uh, in Web two. So yeah, I don't think it will exactly look like that. Um, so it's not something that really uh, preoccupies me. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I can see I can see why you believe that this could be a a problem. Another concern that I have, not with the not with the picture itself, but uh, with the success of uh, something like this, is um, whether people would decide to spend time in a metaverse right because uh, it's a it's a big chicken and egg problem because um, you already have places like social media where you can decide to spend time on if i have to let go of social media to be in the metaverse where i expect to see also a similar experience than the one i have at when i want to look at twitter or instagram um, I need to let go of of that first, you know, to go to the metaverse. I I, I wouldn't go to the metaverse to to look at Twitter, right? So, so I don't know. The, the metaverse needs to offer me something better, and I don't know if people will decide to spend time on these um, areas in the future. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I think we've we've interviewed a couple of guests um, and talked a little bit about this idea of where where is the metaverse. Right. And I think and this is very common with a lot of emergent technology where people get excited and they sort of play into the sci fi version of that technology. And they think that we are going to that place where the technology lives, you know, when the Internet was just barely a thing and it started to gain widespread attention. A lot of people thought about going to the Internet. Right. Like where where we're going to go to the Internet or, or we're in the Internet now. And, you know, we're on the information superhighway. And in reality, that's not how it's played out. We didn't go to the internet. The internet came to us. And the internet came to us through different types of technology that unlocked our the accessibility of the internet. So mobile devices, for instance, you know that, that made the internet so much more prevalent. And I think the same thing is going to happen with the metaverse. It's not that we are going to spend so much time, quote unquote, in the metaverse. I think it's that 
a lot of our experiences are going to start to take on qualities of the metaverse, meaning that some of our experiences are going to start to look a lot more interoperable. Some of our experiences are going to start to incorporate this idea of our online avatar and our offline experience. So starting to kind of cross that digital physical divide. And that's, I think, going to be the beginning of what the metaverse plays out to be. You know, I, I don't think that we're going to end up in Ready Player One. Um, you know, that might be an interesting proof of concept and it might be something that's more uh, interesting to a gamer, but are we going to all walk around in Ready Player One all day? I don't think so. I think that a lot of this is going to be minor changes that add up to a major impact over the course of the next 5, 10, 15, and 20 years. I like that. And I have a third concern. I have many, I have many concerns about this initiative, but I have a last one, which is, um, well, we don't know yet what the metaverse will look like. And uh, as you said, it may be, you know, small things that come to us. Um, so when I see this initiative and um, I learn that they want to create this metaverse, I wonder whether, you know, these companies, which are not specifically within, you know, technology, creating technology for users, um, will be the ones that will create the metaverse where people will spend time on, right? Um, I wonder whether it will be better for them for basically the majority of companies to just wait, right? I mean, Mitsubishi and uh, Fujitsu didn't create the internet. When the internet came, they decided to move to the internet, right? Um, I think for the most, for the majority of companies, it will be the same with something like the metaverse. They, they should just uh, wait for whatever works and then try to get in there. Yeah, you know, and I think this applies not, not only to the, you know, conglomerates and the mega corporations of the world, but also to even a small business who's looking at Web3. I think getting involved with Web3, there's kind of a multi-stage process, right? The, the beginning stage is like learn a little bit about it and then try it, you know, maybe just as an individual, start understanding this technology a little bit. Inevitably, there will be a point in time where it's going to make sense for a lot of businesses, not every business, right? But look at the internet today. I mean, in the beginning, so many businesses said, we don't need a website. We don't need e-commerce. That's never going to affect our business model. And some of those industries have actually been completely disrupted. I mean, think about taxis, right? They never thought about the internet disrupting their business. And Uber comes along with mobile technology and the, and the internet and boom, the taxi industry is upside down. And so, you know, I think the most important part is it doesn't make sense for your business now. And that's going to take time. And it's going to be a series of moments across many industries where businesses say, or business owners say, you know what, I see the benefit for my customers, for my audience, and now is the right time to jump in. But there's no way to understand and see those opportunities unless you're playing with the technology today. So, you know, the people that were first movers in the internet, they were the ones who got the early clunky mobile phones. They were the ones who had early access to the internet and went through some of the pain to understand it. You know, that's just, that's gaining an advantage in a world that's moving very, very quickly. You know, we're seeing the same thing in artificial intelligence. You know, people that are dabbling in that today are going to be uh, leaps and bounds ahead of their competition tomorrow when that technology really starts to power our economy and our businesses. Yeah. All this makes me wonder how museums came to be what museums are today. You know what, what the evolution was between, you know, having a painting in your living room and then deciding to create a museum. I mean, that, that also was probably a pretty crazy evolution. Do you want to talk about museums? Maybe? Well, sure. We've got a story here about museums. So uh, Centre Pompidou, which is home to France's National Museum of Modern Art, has announced plans for a new exhibition that's going to examine the relationship between art and the blockchain. And they're going to do that by featuring NFTs from a bunch of 
valuable NFT collections. So things like CryptoPunks and Autoglyphs um, and then works from 12 other digital artists. And so this is, you know, I think the headline here is that we've got kind of a meeting of the of two worlds. We've got this sort of what people think about as an old world technology, which is the museum, right? We think about that as an actual physical structure that houses history and cultural understanding from the past and bringing that together with what's happening right now in modern art, in digital art, in NFT culture, in blockchain. And so this is an interesting mashup of these two worlds coming together, I think probably really kind of playing into each other. So I think there's a, a symbiotic relation, relationship here uh, between the two. But, but what do you think? Yeah, I when we were talking about this uh, this specific piece of news before before the call, I I didn't see the relationship between between uh, between the two. Right, I, I looked at it and I thought, well, this pretty much looks like uh, NFTs searching for legitimacy, right? Trying to to be part of um, whatever already has this legitimacy, right? Like you go to the to the Louvre or to the Pompidou and you see paintings and you see art and everybody recognizes that this is art, that this is important. Whereas NFTs are still, you know, battling against um, opinions, people that think, well, this is not really art. This is just something digital, right? Um, so that they're always fighting, uh, still fighting this this battle. So they they looked at museums and I guess they thought, well, if we are in a museum, then we, <laughs> we are art, right? <laughs> the same the same happens with with these paintings that are in a museum. They become instantly art, uh, and that to me was was pretty clear. But what I didn't see is um, is this the second part, right, of uh, museums using nfts to stay relevant right we we opened this uh, this segment talking about the evolution of museums and um yeah for a while i think a museum was a place where people came almost to worship right because they didn't have art at home they didn't have paintings they didn't have anything to look at that was beautiful or that was uh, different to what whatever reality put, put in front of their eyes and um, museums became well galleries and then I guess museums became this place where people could go and, and see something special and then uh, look at different um, times and see different things right and um, yeah all that is very is very is very good and it was very interesting for a while <laughs> I guess for for centuries but now anybody can you know tour the Louvre via um, his uh, laptop, for instance, you can just go there and, and check everything. And uh, the, the resolution is very good. And you don't have to wait for, for queues. You don't have to battle with the other uh, tourists trying to see a peak of the Mona Lisa. So it's, um, I think it's, it's very simple to do this uh, via, via online. So I don't know, this may be a win-win a for both of them, for, for both the, the NFTs that uh, find this legitimacy from from museums and also for museums that can find this um, this uh, new life right that uh, comes to them thanks to to the interest of people in uh, something like uh, NFTs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is kind of you know we see this in modern art over and over again. So you know, I think modern art by definition is always going to be. Um, artwork from artists that are on the fringes of what is considered art, right? Anybody who walks into a modern art museum for the first time is probably going to be really surprised. Right? It's not the oil paintings, um, you know, classical art. It's, it's uh, mixed media. It's, you know, sculptures that you don't really understand at first glance. And so modern art is always sort of pushing the boundary and saying like, art doesn't have to be what we think of as art. 
And at the same time, you know, museums, again, like when they, when they're housing collections from hundreds of years ago, like they tend to have this very uh, traditional, um, like a feeling of, of being a pillar of culture and they are, but a part of being a pillar of culture is also staying relevant. And so the idea that, you know, you could walk into the Louvre and have a physical experience, you know, see some of the greatest artwork of history and then walk across the hall, for instance, and see digital artwork that's being created now currently by artists. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, and obviously, you know, this, we're talking about a, a modern art museum here, but I can very easily see how this trend will unroll and modern museums will start looking at this as an opportunity again, to stay relevant, to embrace what's happening currently. Um, and also just to make sure that art is top of mind for our culture, right? Like that's, that's a big motivation for most museums. So I agree, this could be a win-win. This podcast is sponsored by Step 3, an engagement marketing platform to build brand loyalty. Unlike traditional loyalty solutions, Step 3's innovative platform allows your audience to truly own their membership through blockchain-based technology, unlocking new revenue streams for your business. Step 3 makes it easy to design customized loyalty programs with personalized rewards, gamification elements, and community-building strategies baked in from the get-go. Tailor your benefits to recognize the actions that matter most for your brand, offering rewards like exclusive content, events, merchandise, discounts, and support. Go to step3.io today to start co-creating with your community. The other angle about this uh, piece of news is um, something, I guess, an idea that comes to mind um, um, recurrently, which is, um, will NFTs be more relevant as art or as... Um, as commodities, no, like like tickets that allow you access to to something, because um, yes, here here we see a um, some 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 um, series of uh, NFTs. I think it was uh, Autoglyphs, uh, CryptoPunks. These um, these series, these pieces of pieces of art, let's say, because they follow one specific style, trying to be um, trying to be recognized as art, and um, it's very clear that these are art, but at the same time they are also, or they could work as um, entry points, uh, tickets to uh, to access um, something special, tickets to access uh, part of a community, or or or, or, um, being, or become a, become a member of something thanks to having this this NFT. And I, I always wonder whether we will see in the future that this aspect will be more valuable than the art aspect, or or, or the opposite. I, I don't know. I cannot make up my mind. I think the the ticket part. You know, they're the, the using the NFTs as something that globally gives you access to something in a very simple way. You just have this NFT in your wallet and then that gives you access to whatever experience or or to, to receive whatever uh, good from from a company. Uh, that's that's very big because it it, it works, uh, as I said, globally. But art as well is, is, a, is a global experience. So I don't know what, what will be more valuable, maybe both. I don't know. Have you thought about this? Yeah. And this is, I think, a really important thing for listeners and anybody in the Web3 space to really consider. And, and I think, you know, kind of absorb into your understanding of what Web3 is and especially what NFTs are. So, you know, saying will will NFT be NFTs be more valuable as art or as tickets, I think is kind of like saying, will a digital file be more valuable as an Excel spreadsheet? or as a 
title to a house, right? The, the, you know, they're both digital files at the end of the day. They can both be turned into PDFs and sit on a hard drive. The important thing, though, is that it's what that, that digital file is linked to. So, you know, a digital file is just a blank slate for information. It's where we put data and then that data has relevance based on what it is. And NFTs are the same way, right? So we can take an NFT, think of it as a blank slate, and now we can paint on it. We can create utility for it. We can turn it into, um, you know, a legitimate title for something in the real world. Like the use cases for NFTs are just as wide ranging and open-ended as digital files. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand. Like, you know, thinking about NFTs only one way is probably not where we're headed uh, with this with this technology. Right. Yeah, I agree. And this takes me to the third piece of news that I want to cover today because it's about a topic that I haven't seen NFTs get into. I mean, I have seen some NFTs being used in this industry, but not in this way. Okay, so let me tell you what it is. <laughs> Basically, it's um, <laughs> yeah. I just I just saw this headline that had Danny Trejo, you know, the actor, uh, written on it, and uh, I, I love this actor. <laughs> he's like he's a he's an iconic actor for me. This Danny Trejo persona. Uh, I don't know if if you know him, but uh, he's he's very he well, he was in Desperado, which was a very good movie. I think from... I, I do know him. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> And he's got this also, I think, a series or a series of movies made, I think, called Machete or something like that. I think that that's the one that made him famous. I don't know. I, I just love this guy because he's a very specific um, actor, you know. For, for there's, there's a role for which you always need Danny Trejo, right? There's nobody who can do it's Danny true. Trejo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you have that, 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 that role, it, it needs to be played by him. So I don't know. I saw, I saw that his name in this headline and it drew my attention. So I kept on reading and I read that there's this TV show from um, the, product, the, the production company of Gala Games that is uh, going to have uh, Danny Trejo, Mena Suvari and uh, Emilio Rivera as um, actors. I don't think they're going to be main actors, but I think they're going to be, you know, um, working sporadically on this, on this TV series. So many things here that I think that I found interesting. First, of course, Danny Trejo. And then second, uh, Gala Games having a production company. I didn't know they were into, into movies. Um, so I don't know. This is just a lot of information for me. I'm very excited. So maybe you can give us a, a quick explanation of what Gala Games is and uh, whether you knew that they had a, a production company and uh, what do you think about this overall? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... First off, full disclosure, I am a, a Gala Games uh, fan. I hold some of their tokens, both their NFTs and their Gala Games token. Um, but what they're doing as a company is very interesting. So they are, they're investing for the long haul. Um, Gala Games, they've got a very robust strategy for building across gaming and entertainment. Um, and so what we're talking about here is this is coming out of their Gala Film division, which is their Web3 Entertainment startup. Um, and that's under the Gala Games umbrella. What's really cool about the story to me is that, you know, they're not they're not trying to boil the ocean with their strategy. And what I mean by that is that viewers aren't going to need to own an NFT to access this show, right? They're not trying to change the way that people engage with content, which I think is smart because that's a really 
ingrained pattern of behavior, you know, flopping on the couch and turning on Netflix. Now that's something that we just do. And so I think trying to change the way that people watch television or watch entertainment today is probably not the right approach. You know, I don't want to log in with MetaMask just to watch a show. And so they're not requiring that people have an NFT to access the show. But what they are saying is like, look, we know that some people are going to engage with this show. Like most shows that you, you end up with a smaller group of people that are your super fans and they want to engage, whether that's with, you know, contributing feedback about the storyline or understanding kind of behind the scenes of the actors or the production process, um, you know, maybe engaging in special events, things like that. You're always going to have those super fans. And so what they are doing is they're saying, look, if you have an NFT for this particular show, you're going to get extra access. You're going to get behind the scenes, you know, then what that will actually be is I'm sure, you know, remains to be seen. But as you can imagine, you know, extra content, bonus content behind the scenes, that's a very familiar pattern. We've seen that since the beginning of really like DVDs, I think, were where we started to see that because you had the ability to embed that content separate from the movie. And now you could kind of, you know, get into the extra stuff. And so this is another way where they're empowering fans to actually unlock that door, appear behind the scenes, and they're doing that with an NFT. Um, you know, my hope is that they take the Reddit approach and make that very, very simple. You know, so you won't need maybe a Web3 wallet. You'll just log in with an email address and you'll get your NFT that becomes your pass. I think that's going to open up the aperture for who can get involved. Um, but I am bullish on the way that they're approaching this in terms of, you know, let's not change the way people watch entertainment. Let's change the way that people engage with entertainment. I, I like that. Uh, you covered out of round in there. You didn't say anything about Danny Trejo, though, but uh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like Danny Trejo. And you're right. There's always a role for him, and it's always for him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now we can we can visit another angle from, from this, which is, well, we, we see a crypto-native company, in this case, Gala, uh, creating this, um, this uh, Gala Films uh, division that is going to be doing you know, Netflix, I guess. Um, and um, we also see companies like uh, Netflix doing um, some things or some stuff with uh, NFTs. I remember, I don't remember the name of the show, but I remember there was, I think it was uh, Robot something, uh, something, something robots. <laughs> I don't know. There was, there was this TV show that uh, had uh, these uh, QRs and these QRs, they took you to, um, to some NFTs. I remember there was some kind of experience. That's right. That's right. Was it for Mr. Robot? No, it was a series called Something Something Robots of a very small um, animated uh, episodes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember one of them is very good. I, I watched them all, but uh, one of them always st stuck to my mind because it was very, very good. Anyways, so we, we've seen Netflix getting into Web3 a little bit. And uh, now we are seeing a Web3 company like uh, Gala Games getting into, into uh, creating content, right? So I don't know whether more... So I don't know whether this this will be movies and series will be something that um, will eventually be taken over by crypto natives, or whether it will be the incumbents taking over Web three and making it available for for the crypto people. I don't know. It's I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a compromise. Um, so you, you know, on on one hand, you've got companies that are steeped in entertainment experience, right? And they have the roster of talent, they have the connections to um, acting talent, they have the producers, they have the writers. You know, that's not something that you're just gonna replace, you know, regardless of the technology. Like th that's, those are decades and decades of building connections, reputation, you know, shipping great entertainment. Um, so 
I don't think that, you know, crypto natives are just going to come in and take over the entertainment scene by any means. And at the same time, I think, you know, the entertainment companies with the deep experience are like most of us just figuring out Web3 as well. And so they're looking at this, you know, as an opportunity, but they don't know it all. And so it's not like they're going to come in and completely change the game on the Web3 front too. They have to put in the reps and the sets with us um, and figure out what the strategy is going to look like. So I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle where we have crypto natives, maybe who have an entertainment background, who become the strategists and the leaders and are helping these entertainment companies, you know, figure out what the right approach is. And at the same time, I think, you know, in the case of like Gala Film, you've got a crypto native company, um, you know, they've started kind of from the gaming side and now they're getting into the film side, but uh, they're going to recruit the best talent from their network who has that deep entertainment experience so that they can create content that's actually compelling, right? Just because you can ship uh, a Web3 experience doesn't mean you're going to make a great show. And so it's it's the coming together of these different disciplines, these different worlds. And I think that's what's going to evoke the best user experience ultimately. Well, we're looking at NFTs and Web3 basically taking over everything right we're looking at today we looked at metaverses that could well basically become the world that we <laughs> that we walk around into um we have we have nfts getting into museums we have nfts getting into movies um i mean uh, the cultural impact of this um, of, of this is, is is amazing i think in, in also in in the short span of uh, of uh, years that they've been with with us um where else do you think we will see uh, their impact well, the easy answer would be everywhere, right? You know, we can look around and say, well, you know, anything could really be an NFT and we can turn that into a Web3 experience. But I think, you know, in the short term, one area that I'm really bullish on is the idea of NFTs or Web3 as an enhancement for membership experiences. So if you think about the things, and, and when I'm talking about membership, I mean just the things that you belong to. And people belong to a lot more things than they think they do. Right. So think about your recreation activities. Think about your uh, gyms, your spas, your personal services like, you know, massage and beauty services. Think about things like clubs that you might belong to or professional associations. Those are all memberships of sort. Right. You join in some way, you become a member and there's usually some sort of benefit associated with that membership. And today that membership, it's, you know, tucked into somebody's database and the rest of the world doesn't know about that unless it's put on their website or they maybe have a tool to give you a certificate or show that you're a member of this club. NFTs create this open environment where now if I'm a member of something, I can actually have an NFT membership pass that is viewable by the whole world. Remember, it's on a public blockchain. And so now we're in a place where my membership is something that I can show to the whole world, which means that the whole world can see who I am and recognize me for the things that I'm interested in or the clubs that I belong to. And potentially there's a lot of collaboration there, right? So one, one membership could look at another membership and say, hey, you know what? You have people that are really interested in yoga and I have people that are really interested in healthy smoothies. Let's join forces through these memberships and let's give some benefits to each of our audiences. I think that's where this is headed next, right? Certainly from the marketing perspective, like this idea of open collaboration between businesses, between brands, so that we can start looking at our audiences as as the dynamic people that we are, right? We're not just one interest. We're not just one demographic profile. Like we have many interests. We have many areas in our life. And a lot of times it would be nice as a consumer to be recognized and, and take benefit from the things that we participate in. So 
that's where I think we're going to see some imp impact in the short term, this idea of membership programs that are enhanced by this open collaboration layer. Hmm. Should we then take uh, the audience of this podcast, our members, to today's uh, deep dive? Let's do it. Does that mean we have an NFT membership in our future? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to the interview. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Marketing Meets Web 3. Today's guest is Chris Kastig of Console. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Nick. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Glad to have you here. Why don't we uh, dig in? It's, it's nice to have you on the show today. I'm curious, can you just give us kind of a brief bio and your experience with Web3? Oh, um, so I'm, well, so many things. But uh, um, at the moment, I am building console. So console is chat for Web3. You can imagine like Discord and Telegram are the main places that a lot of Web3 communities right. are chatting right now. We're building an alternative to that that is just easy to get started, easy to get integrated using all your favorite Web3 tools. Okay, so chat for Web3, a little bit like Discord, a little bit like Telegram. Um, maybe tell us a little bit more about the background of console. Like, you know, uh, there's obviously a lot of chat clients out there. Um, there's a lot of options for communicating with people. So what was the inspiration and what's your goal with, with console? Yeah, so console started in 2012 as a, a, a pain point that I saw or I was having, um, which was, you know, Web3 was starting to become a word people were using and a name for this thing that for years um, we were calling, I was calling the user-owned internet or the future of the internet. Like, it wasn't kind of sure what this thing was. And it, I felt like from 2015 to 2020, there was a lot of academics working on this idea. And then a lot of money came into it. And then around 2021, it started to become really social where people were gathering, you know, like, like join my discord, join my discord. Sure. And it seemed to me that the reason that I was in it and the reason most people were in it was, you know, to build the future of the internet, to build decentralized tools, censorship resistant communications, all of these things that we were really passionate about. So we were talking about all these things and, and building these tools on top of this very, very centralized black box of discord, which right. is like, you know, made for gamers, not for web three. And so sure. it just seemed really obvious to me that there was an opportunity to do it. What I would say, what I felt like a long-term right decision, which is like, if we want to all grow as an ecosystem, you know, in this direction, um, we're going to need to have some more decentralized open source kind of home to, uh, to work to work on top of and so yeah that, that was what the idea spun out of and we started prototyping it and, and testing some early versions and um got a lot of really great feedback and so then you know continued to double down and build out the team and that's where we are today you know speaking of team um maybe tell us a little bit more about the team behind consoles so you're co-founder so you have one or more other founders what does your team look like today yeah, we're about seven people right now, mostly devs. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much the story. <laughs> we're building out. <laughs> building it out. Yeah. So I, I want to dig into one thing in terms of just the value prop or the vision for consoles. Yeah. So um, 
what's different about console versus some of the other alternatives out there like Discord? I mean, obviously, this seems completely geared towards Web3 communities, but in terms of functionality, are there key differences or things that you say you think set it apart? Yeah, um, I think there's, I think there's, I think it's a day and night. I think once you use console, you'll kind of immediately have that, that, wow, like this is like so much better than what we have. And I think that feeling comes from, um, just the ease of integrating and onboarding and bringing new, new people into your community, um, on console. It's really geared for that web three experience. So for example, on console, you log in with your web wallet, right? We're creating these web wallets, whether it's MetaMask or Rainbow or Hero, and we're creating these experiences where we can custody our own identity now. And that's what the whole thing is. We can custody our Bitcoin, our Ethereum, our identity, but we're not doing anything with those. We're kind of just holding them and then you know, sometimes on Twitter, people put in their bio that they're like, oh, I'm holding an ENS name, I'm holding Bitcoin or like, um, right. So console is an opportunity to make these productive and useful um, by bringing these assets to social media, basically by to chat and to, and so, so the benefit you get is you log in with your web wallet. And if I am Castig.eth, right, my name, um, right. I can do that across every single site in web three. And I can bring that richness, that data, my identity to console console takes very little data about you, just your public ID at this moment, um, like your public key. And you get to keep all of the data, you know, in either in your chat uh, and then uh, either in your wallet and then progressively, you know, over time, we want to like continue to decentralize the chat and other elements of it too. Um, so that we have as little data as possible on your users. So, um, so that's the, you know, that's the idea, you know, the, in case anyone listening or you guys aren't familiar, maybe you are, but like, you know, on Discord right now, that experience is like, give your email, like doxing you or like your phone number on Telegram. Um, for people building communities, it's like, get three or four plugins that you have to each sign up for separately, kind of right. weave them together, have each user go through like clicking 20 boxes to like onboard. And by that time, you know, what we've learned by watching at this point, like hundreds of users use discord um, is that, you know, a lot of times they turn, they peel off or they're confused why they're even there. And so, sure. you know, yeah. we have tools um, uh, in addition, like in addition to the chat for communities, we also have, um, notion like like token gated notion pages and blog posts and things so that you can also give like a richness to the community that people can learn about the community so that you can have events and all these kind of things like surrounding that onboarding experience so that it's just like oh i know i am here this sounds awesome i'm gonna join i'm gonna buy the nft if i need to get token gated admission and then you're with the people yeah. in the community Okay, well, I have I have a follow up, but I'm going to kick yeah, it over yeah, to Albert. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to kick it to Albert. For a few minutes, yes, because uh, I mean, you've you've already hinted at a few at a few things about uh, the platform and um, some of the, some of these details, also about um, the offer the offering of uh, console versus Discord, something that uh, is very apparent on the on the website, <laughs> the way you present uh, this uh, this opportunity for for users. But I want to I, I do have a, a more philosophical question, which is about how do you 
think about the future of uh, communities because the community has uh, has been a word that uh, has come up already in in the past uh, five minutes maybe four or five times so it's a very it's a very big one and yeah. uh, i wonder how do you think about these in the future yeah well yeah that's a i mean that's like a really important and also kind of like loaded question it feels like it can mean so many different things um I think the one thing that drives that people have been find that have come to console uh, are finding a lot of value with as far as community goes um, is being able to use console for some some people are using it for just their like VIP of the community right so what I'm trying to say is um, I think there's a need right now for people to join together people who share a common mission and vision and want to work together or stay informed without feeling over overwhelmed on the direction so that they could possibly add value. And right now I think community in web three, um, I think is sort of synonymous with, for a lot of people with like telegram groups and discord groups and people, you know, are in 20 of them and they're overwhelmed and like, yeah, I'm part of the orange Dow, but, you know, I haven't been in the discord for a while, so I don't even know what's going on. Um, so I think, I think the, the shift is, is um, just being able to align people at different levels, people that want to be part of that VIP crew and can have the token gated experience to maybe help set precedent toward that vision or, you know, um, come together and collaborate, but also having some ways, you know, we have like read only channels, um, for example, and, so, and some other ways that people can like view or get granular updates just on the things they want, whether it's events or voting, these kind of things. Um, and so that they don't have to feel overwhelmed with everything. So yeah, to me, it's just about bringing together people and giving them the right amount of information they need to feel like they can, help the community how, move how are you going about growing the um, the product i mean um, you are bringing people over from uh, telegram from discord which are both platforms that they already know and uh, people use so they are already there mm. therefore you need to move the people all over to to console how, how do you go about that because it's, it's a big one i think yeah um so console is in a beta period right now where we are really just testing a lot until our iPhone app comes out. Our iPhone app should be out in about a month, um, but we're that's pretty aware. Yeah, we're really excited and and also very aware that that's a really big unlock that communities need. Um, so right now we have a desktop app and we have a web app. Um, and yeah, it's been a great opportunity to learn with communities that have either left their telegram or discord or a few like I, like I had alluded to that um, kept their discord, but it's just kind of this VIP token gated experience for the DAO members or things like that. Um, yeah. So um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that I could speak to, we haven't really gone into like full user growth mode as much as we have about a little over a thousand people who have joined and they're this first batch of testers. Um, and uh, some of them have been very willing and excited to close down their Discord. There's a, a handful of them that, you know, communities that came over and they were just like, we really believe that console. And we have a Twitter space every Monday at five. And a lot of people will come who have <laughs> like are just supporters of the project because, you know, they the thing that I've heard um, 
people say, especially this one community, Nakamoto, which came. Nakamoto is putting, um, I don't know if you heard about the project, they're putting uh, $1.5 million of Bitcoin on the moon, like literally, like they're putting it with a SpaceX rocket and there's this scavenger hunt thing. It's this whole uh, amazing kind of mind-bending art project that they're doing. Um, Only in crypto. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, Ian from Nakamoto will often say, you know, um, you know, he believes in console because we're doing what is the right thing to do. And Discord is the easy thing. But if you're here and you're building toward a new internet and a new future, um, I think supporting the projects that you that you want to see succeed in the world, um, you know, even if that means that, you know, sometimes console in the first, you know, um, a few months earlier this year had had some bugs and like some upgrades and stuff like that. Um, but we really hope that long term, you know, we can create enough value for the communities that do come over um, and help them grow and listen to their needs and really adapt. Um, I think that's something we can offer that Discord and Telegram can't because they're serving too wide of a community. Um, or uh, that's that's one thing. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. I, I want to give it to you, but uh, that's one thing because you were mentioning this, and I was uh, this this other project was coming up to mind, uh, Noster, which is um, trying to bring people over from Twitter. Yeah. So it's kind of like um, trying to solve the same issue, and they're doing it in a similar way, I guess. You know, uh, bringing or giving users more privacy over what they are over what they are um, sharing with the with the platform. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Nostra um, and have been supporting some of the projects, um, like some of the open source projects building in the space. And I think right now, um, Nostra is by far my, like, <laughs> I would put, like, buy on Nostra as far as, like, a future technology um, because it's so simple um, and it can be built and turned into so many different things. So, you, you know, Nostra just is really just sending messages in a very decentralized way. And on top of that, we're seeing Damas, which is the Twitter client. We're seeing yeah, Iris. Um, we're seeing um, chat clients. We're seeing all different types of social media following uh, Venmo type things. Like you can kind of build anything with it. Um, and so I think because it's so simple, that's why we've seen such amazing growth in Nostra. There was only 90,000 um, active accounts um, in December of 2022, this about this past December. And now there's over 2.5 million or something. It's, I mean, that's some incredible growth. And yeah, um, yeah. and it's just growing week over week. So I, I, I imagine we'll see a lot more there. Um, console is um, on a path... I, you know, I'm thinking long term to just really move and work with the most decentralized Web3 friendly technologies. So it's not out of the question that if Nostra were to get mature enough that we would definitely consider integrating it. Um, right now, the kind of main takeaway about Nostra, I think, and how it plays with chat is that Nostra, everything is public. So if you're chatting on a Nostra client, um, there's one that I've that we've contributed to uh, nostrachat.io. And if you're chatting on there, I mean, everything is just public, like times 10, it's hitting over every server in Relay. Um, and so I think it, it's, un, it's not clear yet whether Nostra becomes just some 
you know, good for public types of chat, whether like it becomes like for Substack, for Twitter, these kind of things, um, or whether it kind of comes and comes into the world where it can be used for private communications. Um, some of the founders, the, the founding team doesn't have, have an interest in it being private. Um, so that, I think that's still on the table and it's still so new that it's yet to be seen, but it's a really exciting project to watch. So it sounds like you guys are, you know, pretty early days in terms of establishing, you know, finding your wedge, finding that beachhead, um, like all startups, like every product coming to life. Yeah. Um, there, you know, this is the, the name of the show is marketing meets web three. So there's this commercial side of, of what we dig into. And I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts? It sounds like you guys are leaning very heavily into web three native projects and projects that are fully embracing decentralization. At the same time, what you're bringing to the table with console, I can see as it's a real pain point for any kind of brand or marketer who's trying to use Web3 technology with mm-hmm. an audience because they're, you know, asking, I mean, if you look at Starbucks Odyssey, you know, and asking people to go into Discord has been a real yeah. pain point for them. Yeah. It's just, it's a confusing experience for the average consumer. Yeah. Do you have uh, any ideas or aspirations for console in terms of making this more sort of mass audience or, you know, commercial friendly? Yeah, I think... That's a that's a great. Um, have you been in the in the Starbucks Odyssey Discord? I have not. That's an interesting. I I have. Yeah, What's and you one? know, it, I mean, it's it's a lot of degens, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of like a lot of people that are there for you know because they're they're degens. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of just general confusion. I think about people are, aren't sure why they're there or what they're supposed to do when they're there or how so that whole experience relates to the Odyssey main experience. And, right. but at the same time, it's really the only place that community can connect and can have a conversation. So it's an interesting problem. That is so interesting. Yeah. We have not, we're like, we are still, like I said, in this beta period. Um, so we have not connected with any brands yet, but it's definitely been on my mind that those kind of scenarios, especially would be really great for console um, for a few reasons. One that we make it just really easy to just, when you come in your NFTs for that token gated community, just appear immediately. As soon as you click your wallet, you can right. use them. And then when you get in, like I had mentioned, we have docs and lists of events and like wait, ways that you can like see beyond just being thrown into a chat, how to understand like why you're here, maybe what the mission is. Um, we have a people directory so you could see all the people and their profile pages really clearly, you know, who you're interacting with. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for brands to potentially work with console. Um, I think it could be really a great opportunity for any brand that wants to get into web three because we have that in mind. So to answer your question, to kind of summarize that thought, um, I, you know, I think that web three, what we're building is only useful as much as we can bring it to upgrade the entire internet. Like the whole mission, like I mentioned back in 2015, when I started working in this space, which was just like blockchain called blockchain back at the time, um, you know, was to upgrade the internet, was to improve um, the future of what we had had, which was at the time and still like very centralized, a few companies controlled many voices on Facebook, Google, and how we used our data. The vision has always been to bring that back to the people so that we can control more of our data and more of the decisions of where things are going. So um, because of that, you know, if Web3 just stays the 
I don't know how many people are in Web3 right now, maybe 100,000 people, 200,000 people, you know, who are like actively building or doing or interacting at most. Um, You know, I think that would be a real loss. And so I I do think that the opportunity or like the only thing that's really interesting to me is like upgrading the internet, not just serving the small niche of people who own crypto, (laughs) like Ethereum, you know. I, I agree completely. Yeah, I think we would totally miss the mark, you know, as as the mission, we would miss the mark if all we did was <laughs> play with our friends in this space. So and I, I, I guess I was add to that too. Like, and I think it's important, like that's, I appreciate that you resonate with that because and you people coming new to the space, I don't know that they have the education or breadth of like what has come before or like what the market right. is. And so I think because of that sometimes, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a lot where console came from too. Just seeing that people were um, content with Discord and content with um, solutions that felt, you know, not inclusive of people that weren't DGens, you know, and and I think that that I think that's also yeah was like part of the impetus to building what we're what we're doing is to make it feel like an easier experience that people would enjoy who aren't already in Web three. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I do think that there's going to be a time when, you know, we're going to go through this awkward phase where I think, you know, brands, marketers, they're still trying to get their head around how to use this technology. There's still a lot of hesitation around some of these ideas of decentralization. And is that giving away too much control? At the end of the day, I think we're going to find middle ground. And to your point, like it, it is, that's when we start to see the impact of making the internet better than it was before. Yeah, I love that. Well said. Nice. <laughs> you've, you've mentioned the um, token-gated communities all throughout the um, the conversation, and I wonder if um, you know, for the benefit of the audience, maybe we could expand on on this and uh, how do you see or where do you see the value for these token-gated communities? Is it something that is going to benefit the community or the or the individual, or is it something that is going to help also uh, bring together communities? Yeah. Um, so yeah, this idea of token gated communities, um, essentially, you know, if you think about how we organize people today in the digital world, like, like digital apps, right. Um, if you're using something like, um, Instagram, we have a social graph, right. We follow people, right. We do follows. If you're on an app, like a chat app, like iMessenger signal, even, Telegram, you use your telephone list of all the phone numbers, your private phone numbers to connect with people. Um, if you're on Reddit, you know, or some other kind of, you know, we use, um, you know, groups that we assign, like I'm, I'm interested in learning about space, right? So there's all of these kind of tech, like um, uh, taxonomies or like ways of that we, that we already kind of group together people to find people. If we're on Slack, you know, your company may like have a whitelist, right? Um, So as we move to Web3, I think we, I don't think it's wrong to use some of these things that we're doing, but I think we could do it better. And so what I'm trying to say is um, a lot of the things I just mentioned, like give up a lot of privacy. If you have to give your entire phone list to connect with people or one company or one person has to own the whole list of all the, um, of all the people in the community, you give a lot of power to one person. And so, you know, web three explores like going beyond that. And so token gating is a way that we can have communities, um, 
allow access based on, you know, if you earn a certain NFT, for example, like an NFT could be about, you know, climate change, right? Or about an art project. And if you purchase that, it's kind of like an access ticket or something to join. And um, yeah, so so that's the idea is like, it's just figuring out different ways to group together people. Um, you know, on console, we support NFT communities. So if there's a community that's passionate about, you know, one of these topics I mentioned, um, or if you had a whitelist, you know, you could just like put in a whitelist of your friends. But again, you're putting, you put in just the wallet address, you could put in the ETH address, but you don't have to like dox them with their phone number, or their email or stuff like that. Um, and beyond that, there's some pretty cool experiences that people are experimenting with even just this week on console where, you know, there's one community that really wants to join together people who really care about Bitcoin um, into a conversation. And so we're doing some token gating around people that hold more than one BTC in their wallet, something like that. So I think we're still kind of exploring the early days, but those are like a few of the tests. And again, it just comes back to like, how do we bring together people? And, you know, how do we do it in a way that is potentially more decentralized and uh, conscious of people's privacy and like online yeah, identity and stuff like that? I, I think there's something really interesting about, you know, you started to talk about stacking some of these conditions, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody who's holding a certain token or has a certain NFT, when you start combining those conditions, I think it really opens the door for creating these sort of rich but ad hoc communities that mm -hmm. can really be spun up around different kinds of interests, different kinds of assets that people are holding, which in today's world, I don't, I don't know that we really have an equivalent, right? You can go to Facebook and join a group, but that still feels like it's somebody else making the rules. Um, there isn't a rich way for you to be able to connect with the people that you're really looking for. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity out there in the future. It's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, thanks. I'll give one more example too, just to kind of yes and that. Um, you know, I've been a part of a lot of like, like Discord communities and sometimes you'll see somebody they're really loud and they're just like talking a lot about like, this is the way it should be. <laughs> And, you know, you don't know what they're holding. Like, you don't know, maybe like they could just totally be shilling their own bag. Or on the other hand, sometimes people are like, Such they want to be part of the DAO and they want to be talking and they don't hold like any of the token or any of the NFT and support the project. And right. um, I think there's also, I think it's about a signal and noise optimization where, you know, in the future we could get more signal by listening to the people who have more skin in the game. Right. And yeah optimizing yeah. for those and, and like prioritizing those voices or in, you know, or just like the people that are spammy and they're just like, just like talking. It's like, are you, you don't get to talk cause you don't have any skin in this game. Like you're not really part of like supporting this community. I, I think there's some interesting experiments there. It's still the early days, but those are some interesting things I'm going to keep watching. Yeah, yes. Uh, well, thank you, Chris. Uh, looking forward to seeing where you take a uh, console and uh, how you go about uh, some of these challenges that have come up during the conversation. And uh, well, thank, thank you very much for spending some time with us. For sure. Yeah, thanks so much, Alberto and, and Nick. Thanks for taking the time. This has been really fun. Chris, before we sign off, where can people go to find more, find out more about you and find out more about console? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, if you want to follow me, I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can go to at Castig, C-A-S-T-I-G, so at Castig. And consoles at console.xyz. You can come there and um, um, sign up for the beta or reach out to us on Twitter and uh, DM us. Uh, we're, you know, we're pretty active and friendly. Uh, happy to answer any questions or give you a tour, you know, if you're thinking of 
coming over to console with your community or you just want to try it out yourself, um, let us know. How I, I think the friendly part was clear during the conversation. Sounds great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find our host, Nick Casares, on Twitter at N-I-C-K-C-A-S-A-R-E-S. -S.